0: Welcome to West Church. We're so thankful you've joined us today. Whether you're joining us in person or virtually, we're excited to come together to praise, worship, and receive God's glory. If this is your first time with us, we'd like to give you a very special welcome. If you're returning, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate it, and we appreciate you. Now, let's prepare to be inspired and encouraged as we enter into worship. I want to ask you a question. How many of you have seen the, the Wizard of Oz? All right, just about everybody, so you know what I'm talking about. I'm going to date myself a little bit. When, when I was a little boy, before the days of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, uh, you could only watch The Wizard of Oz on TV. My, the first TV in my house growing up was only in black and white. I remember our family buying our first color TV, uh-huh, and uh, if you wanted to know what was on TV and when it was on, you had to buy the newspaper or a magazine called TV Guide. <laughs> what is TV Guide? Uh, And if you didn't have that, you know, they would advertise in advance. And, And the Wizard of Oz would come on about the holidays. I don't remember which holiday it was, but I think it was usually a Sunday night. The Wizard of Oz would come on. And for me, watching as a little boy, one of the scariest scenes in the Wizard of Oz was when Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion finally get to the Emerald City and they stand in the presence of Almighty Oz. And the, 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 it's a big green face and there's smoke and there's steam and a booming voice. What do you want from Almighty Oz? And they're trembling. And Toto walks around behind the curtain and it's just a man pulling levers. <laughs> Toto sneaks behind the curtain and it's just this old guy operating machines to give the impression that he was an all-powerful wizard, but he wasn't. He's just an average person. You strip away all the special effects, and he was just a nice guy who wanted to help people. He wasn't, Oz the wizard was transcendent and powerful and all-knowing, but Oz the man, just a man. I would like to submit to you that Christmas, according to the Gospel of John, is like the story of the Wizard of Oz, turned upside down. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Mary is told she's going to have a son. God tells Joseph that Mary is going to have a son. God tells the shepherds that a Savior is born. They all come together and they find something really quite ordinary, a baby, a poor baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, not in a a house, but in a manger. Uh, He will become a boy. He will become a man, he will become a rabbi, we're told that he will be the savior, the deliverer, but all you see is this, except for the angels in the sky, which is pretty scary like the wizard, uh, all you see is an ordinary baby at Christmas surrounded by some very extraordinary circumstances and announcements. But in John's gospel, John's biography of Jesus, the very beginning as he tells the story He describes Jesus differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The Gospel of John is written later than all of the other biographies of Jesus, so maybe he's shooting for a slightly different audience, we're not sure. But instead of talking about the peculiar circumstances surrounding the birth of the baby, John introduces us, in the beginning was the Word. And what we find out, what we're going to find out today is that the Word is so much more amazing than just a baby. He's Almighty God. He's God. Like, John is taking the Oz story, and flipping it upside down on its head. Jesus is so much more than just a man. He's so much more than just a baby. He is the God of the universe who's pulling all of the levers of creation. John begins, he starts, in the beginning was the Word, and thinkers before us have wondered why John chose that expression, the Word, to describe Jesus. Could it be referring to the Word of God in the Hebrew Bible that goes forth from God's mouth and accomplishes what God spoke it to accomplish, as in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, which says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, God says, be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Is that what John meant when he referred to in the beginning was the word? Some have suggested that maybe it's a reflection in the Hebrew Bible of Proverbs, where wisdom is personified as a person who speaks, as in like Proverbs 8, 13, and 14, which says, "'The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate,' says wisdom. "'I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just.' Some think that John was think, speak calling Jesus the word because he is the wisdom of God. Some suggest that maybe Jesus was sort of interfacing with Greek philosophy in his day. Prior to the coming of Jesus, you have the great Greek thinkers Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. There was a very very well-known Jewish philosopher by the name of Philo, and the Greeks used the term the word to describe the, um, the uh, animating force of thought and imagination and reason in the world. So, maybe John's kind trying to connect with his modern-day culture beyond and outside of Israel. Either way, whatever way you take it, he is emphasizing the glory and the transcendence of Jesus before he entered the world as a baby, and how Jesus spoke about these themes in his life and in his ministry. When John says, in the beginning was the Word, he's talking about Jesus. John's biography and gospel is all about Jesus, but he begins by calling Him the Word. Jesus is more than a man. He is more than a baby. He's more than a teacher. John says He's the Word. And verses 1 through 5 begin to explain in part of whom Jesus, uh, John, one of His apostles, one of His followers writing some 80, 90 years later thought Jesus was. And I want to highlight three things that John says Jesus is. He is God. He is life, and He is light. He is God, He is life, He is light. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. He says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So John starts out, he says, In the beginning. Anyone who is familiar with the Hebrew Bible would recognize those as the very first words of the book of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Breshit Elohim bara ha-shamayim They would know that. And when John starts by saying in the beginning, he's talking, uh, tell, taking us back to before God even created. The interesting thing John says is, in the beginning was the Word. The Word, Jesus, was there in the beginning. He says the Word was with God, okay. Some have suggested that the Word was God's creative force, God's Word coming out of Him. But then John says, the Word, Was God, scratch record, what? In the beginning was the Word, I get. The Word was with God, I get. The Word is something different from God, I get, or maybe a creation from God. But, But to say that the Word was God, it doesn't really boot up on my human computer. How was the Word with God and also God? complex thought, right? Maybe we should try to translate it differently so that it makes better sense. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. They say, in the beginning was a God. The word, beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was a God. You know, not God, but a God kind of a thing. But that's not really what it says. It says the word was God. And so, John hits us right from the start with the idea that Jesus was God with God in the beginning, and Jesus, the Word, was God. And this passage is one of the pivotal verses in the Bible that introduces the teaching of what we call today the doctrine or the teaching of the Trinity. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was one true God, but that God is more than one person. The Word is God, and God the Father is God, but we do not have two gods, but one God, who we find out later as we read on in the story, exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's where John is beginning to take us when he introduces Jesus to us. The teaching of the Trinity is something totally new and unexpected in history and even offensive to monotheistic religious thought. John, with all of the first followers of Jesus, was Jewish. Judaism is a monotheistic, one God only religion. And it would seem that Jesus has caused His followers to go off their rockers and be led away from the monotheistic faith of their childhood. Jesus has somehow misled hundreds of Jewish people to move away from their pure singular monotheism of Judaism towards the Trinitarian one God who exists as three persons way of thinking. Either Jesus was a charlatan leading people away from their true childhood faith, or He was so amazingly compelling in His person and in His being that the followers of Jesus recognized something they had never understood before in the person of Jesus. He was God and He was with God, Father and Son, not two gods, however, one God, part of the teaching of the Trinity. Do you see how amazing the person of Jesus must have been in order to influence so many people to change their view of who God is? John wants us to understand this. Jesus is God. He was with God. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, as John is going to go on to explain in the rest of his book about Jesus. And to say that Jesus is God is to say that He is so utterly transcendent and above us. He is outside of time. He is before creation. He possesses all knowledge, all power, and He possesses the being of God within Himself. Jesus is utterly other, and it's amazing that we can even know Him or understand Him. And to say that Jesus is in the beginning, that He was born as a man and a baby no less, the first Christmas, is to say, that in an incomprehensibly compassionate way, God chose to humble Himself to be with us and to bring us redemption. Think with me about the compassion and willing desire of God to come to us and to be known by us. Here is pure, unadulterate, unadulterated, unconditioned love. I will come to the world. I will be born into the world, a redeemer, a savior, a man. I, God, will come to you. That's what Jesus did. The Father sent the Son, the Word, to reach us with the offer of forgiveness and grace and reconciliation. People look at the horror of the world and wonder if God cares. How come He doesn't just Stop all of the evil in the world. We want him to stop all of the evil in the world. All of the bad people that are hurting others in the world. We want him to stop them. We don't want him to stop us with, a, and we don't want to look at the, the the not so good things and the ways that we harm others. But we want him to stop them. And when God doesn't deal with them, we wonder if he's any good. But Jesus, God the Word, who was with God and who was God, came into the world as a baby to bring the hope of reconciliation to God. And when you or I believe in Jesus that He is the Redeemer God who died for our sins. We are forgiven, and we are made right with that God. And this is why Jesus came. And that, that Jesus came is such a clear and present sign of His love and compassion. If you have never met Jesus, the Word, turn to Him today. And if you know Jesus, the Word... Just take a moment, take some moments during this Christmas season to soak up His love for you. It's the compassionate and that powerful and that humble that He came for you. Let the Word love you again and again and again. He is God. and He is life. Look at verses 3 and 4. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The entire world was made through Jesus at the creation. He is responsible for it all together with his father. He was life. Jesus is life. He is by definition God as God alive, he is the I am. God is always God is, He always was, He always is, and always will be. Jesus is God. And being life, Jesus is the source of all human life and all living beings in all of creation. So Donna and I were in Florida on vacation, and one of the things that I love about the Florida coastline is the wildlife, okay? Okay the shorebirds that aren't so shy that, that you can walk almost up to them, the dolphins we saw swimming in the ocean, the fish when we were kayaking that were jumping out of the water and could have jumped into the kayak, uh, the manatees, I didn't see any of those, but I've seen them before, they're, they're weird, and, and the palm trees that are taller than this room. He imagined it all. And He brought it into being. And I spent some of my time during vacation just being amazed at the God who thought up and brought into being all of these wild and amazing creatures, including people. The Word is the Creator. He is life. But the Word is also life in the sense that He is the source of all that is true and good and whole and meaningful in a broken world. Creation has fallen. Humanity has fallen. And as amazing as life is, it is a shadow of what it should be. And so the Word became a baby and He entered into our fallen life to bring hope and restoration and redemption. Almighty Oz became a man. He he came to bring us life. And do we need it or what? The life who made the world came back into the world to refresh our life, to give us a reset. In John 10, Jesus goes on to say, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before Me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Later in chapter 14, Jesus would say again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. The Word knew that we were estranged from God. The Word knew that life was so much less than it should be for us The Word knew that we couldn't help ourselves and work our way back to God, so the Word came to us so that we could see Him, so that we could know Him, so that we could turn to Him, and so that we could experience true life as God always intended it to be. Is He your life? Are you? living life in Him. He's God, He's life, and He's light. Verses 4 and 5, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the personal light of God within us humanity. He is the light of men. People need light. They need hope. They need a reason for living. Jesus was and Jesus is that light. The world is dark. Death is all around us. Sin and injustice are all around us. Hatred and harm are all around us. War and illness, injustice, greed, anger, and illness. The world is a dark, dark place at times. And some of you, some of you are going through some very dark days right now. And you know it and you feel it deep inside, like the darkness is all around you. But into the darkness came the Word, Jesus. And He brings light, not white, hot, all-consuming light that burns everything in its sight so that there's nothing left and completely eradicates all of life and all of creation. The light of Jesus is the light that brings hope to the suffering in a dark world. He brings the redeeming light of God's grace and love, not the consuming light of God's judgment and justice. The light of Jesus is bright enough that those who turn to Him are transformed, not consumed. We turn to Jesus and we find God's mercy. We turn to Jesus and we experience God's forgiveness. We turn to Jesus and we experience God's life. We turn to Jesus and our lives that have been surrounded by darkness are filled with His light and we receive a whole new life right there, and, and the light-filled, life-filled reason for living, our eternal relationship with God, who is light, begins to shine out from us as well. John says, "...and the darkness shall not overcome it," in verse 5. It's been over 2,000 years since the word came. In the church, which began as a small band of 200 followers of Jesus when he first died and rose again, through the centuries, down all the way until today, there have been millions of people, men and women, and boys and girls, who have been impacted. By the light of the word that came at Christmas. And there have been many eras in time of deep darkness when evil attempted to snuff out the light of Jesus. But evil has not succeeded. The light still shines today in the lives of hundreds and thousands of people today, right now. And the darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus. It, is, it will not, though it try. And some of you are struggling with deep darkness in your life. it feels like that the darkness is trying to snuff out the little light of Jesus within you. You feel overwhelmed, afraid, anxious, alone, sick. Will the light of your faith be snuffed out by the darkness or the light of faith of somebody that you love? John who wrote this about Jesus says, no, it will not. The darkness has not overcome the light. Cling to Jesus. If you've wandered, return to Jesus. If you've never believed, but you are realizing as I describe him today that Jesus is the light, come to Jesus. If your light is flickering and you feel like it's about to to go out, come into the light of Jesus in the midst of the people of Jesus and let the fire of the church strengthen your little light with our light together, the light of Jesus among us together be with God's people in your darkness. The light of Jesus is good, not harmful. The light of Jesus is merciful, not condemning. The light of Jesus is gracious, not stingy, the light of Jesus is forgiving, not shaming. The light of Jesus is sustaining, not forsaking. He never turns His back on His children. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when we walk through death's dark door. The darkness cannot overcome the light of Jesus in the heart of His beloved son or daughter, and Jesus is the light. As I finish, I want to remind you about the Let's Connect card. Whether you're a first-time guest or a second-time guest or an all-the-time guest, please fill that out and just drop it in the offering plate as you're leaving. I'd like to invite everybody here today to use one, and here's how. We've talked about how Jesus is the Word, and the Word is three things. He is God, He is life, and He is light. As I've described those three things to you today, was there one of them, one of the facets of the glorious, sparkling gemstone of whom Jesus is that has captured your attention today? Does the reality that Jesus is God light your fire today and encourage your heart? Does the reality that Jesus is life strengthen your being today? Or is the reality that Jesus is light in the darkness strengthen your heart and give you a spiritual? Spring in your step to realize that you can continue on in His presence. Write one of those three down on your Let's Connect card, and let me know which aspect of Jesus' character speaks to you most today. This year, we're going to ponder Jesus, the Almighty God, born at Christmas The helpless infant in the manger is also God the Son who pulls all the levers of the universe. And I hope that you will join us every single Sunday and Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and invite somebody else you love to join us as well as we consider the glory of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray.